Welcome to the Heavenly Banquet, where the hungry are filled with good things. I'm Charlotte. I'm Chad. Chad, when I was in high school, my voice teacher uh, was a church musician, and she would call me in to supplement the choir Mm -hmm. at different points. And I kind of, well, not kind of, I was really falling out of the church. You know, we were in the backyard of... CBN and Pat Roberts said, and I was like, whatever this Christianity stuff is, is not for me. Right. And um, I remember singing the church's one foundation Mm -hmm. and that the last verse of that begins yet. She on earth has union with God, the three in one. Uh And I thought that was so funny. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because I was an immature kid, but I was like three and one. And there's several hymns that do a kind of three and one, one and three uh-huh. activity around the Trinity. And it sounded like a bargain basement deal. Three <laughs> for one. Or like something you see on an infomercial where it's like, you know, it it cleans, it polishes, it removes this, it does, you know, yeah. it's this multi-use tool. Uh-huh. And uh and I remember getting the giggles like so bad and people looking at me because, well, it was inappropriate, but also because, you know, like most of us now, in some ways, we don't necessarily think about what it is that we're singing in the yeah. hymns, particularly the ones that were so familiar. And it wasn't familiar to me. It just had uh-huh. a goofy phrase in it was all I got out of it. Yeah. So here we are <laughs> approaching uh, Trinity Sunday. And coming off of our uh, episodes regarding the Nicene Creed. Yeah. Right. So let's kind of, we got to talk about the persons of the Trinity separately a little bit during that exercise. So let's talk some about the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay. Uh, which is what now? You do God, this so much. God is one essence. And three persons. Okay. There you go. Simple. <laughs> which is which is from where? What a letter from Paul, or uh, Jesus third, tell us that th- Third Corinthians. <laughs> third Corinthians. <laughs> Corinthians three. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's it's not actually in the scriptures per se. That doctrine. Mm. And maybe it's helpful to make a distinction between uh, God as we find God in the scriptures, particularly the New Testament, and these three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, distinguish between that and the doctrine that was developed over the years, over the centuries, I shouldn't just say years, over the centuries. Um, so the, doc- the doctrine, or at least that kind of phrasing of it, God is one essence and three persons, um, comes later after a lot of strife and context and conflict. And a lot of mutual uh, condemnations. (laughs) Everybody got to be an anthema at one point. Yes. (laughs) Even our favorite folks had a a moment thrown out on uh, what was popular there. Yeah. So how do we how do we even start to get there? So we have the I guess the first controversy things we're worried about is 
the divinity of Christ. And then we have the Holy Spirit to deal with. Which is referred to as a spirit of God and or yeah. spirit of Christ. Mm-hmm. So you would think that's divine. You, you've got Jesus being referred to in the scriptures as son of God. Mm-hmm. Um, he's making statements like before Abraham was, I am. So, I mean, <clears throat> and then yeah, of course, all of the eight, I am statements, I yeah. am statements, John's gospel. So I think the scriptures present what is clearly a relationship between these persons, but questions about them and their relationship and their individual qualities begin to arise as time goes along. And basically, you know, somebody will say, this is how it is. And a bunch of other people will say, well, that can't be. Right. <laughs> because ultimately what's standing behind that is the issue of salvation. Right. Right. I mean, it on one level, this may seem like just an abstract philosophical argument and particularly mm-hmm. when we end up with these literally uh abstract philosophical terms <laughs> getting yes. used in these definitions uh but the idea what's at risk in some of these statements that are found ultimately found objectionable is the unity the salvific unity between humanity and divinity yeah yeah so if you just think of the person of Christ, I think one working principle for those who held the orthodox position was whatever he did not assume in his person was not redeemed. Um, so if he's just a body with a divine spirit and mind, but not a human spirit in mind, then the human spirit and mind is not healed in that process, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's an important point to bring out. They're not just trying to argue over esoteric or strange philosophical points, but they are their concern in their minds. They're arguing over the efficaciousness of our salvation. Yeah. But it does seem to go f- forward through like a process of negation where mm-hmm. they say uh, this can't be the case. And right. So, yeah. So uh, images of the Trinity that have them in a kind of hierarchy, right? Um, yeah. Still still very popular. <laughs> yeah. But that the what who we refer to as the first person of the Trinity, the father or source, having primacy in other ways, being the sovereign God, and then Jesus and some the second person Christ being subservient. Right. Although we have that kind of language, right? Yes, we um, do. But the the problem there being, if uh, as you said, if if Jesus isn't fully human, then we aren't saved. Being likewise, if it's not fully divine, we aren't either, because yeah. we are not connected through Him to the full divinity, and right. anything less than that um, puts our salvation at risk. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's this time period and a lot of discussion and struggle between the time that the scriptures are written and the development of the doctrine, which continues after Nicaea, we should probably say. Mm-hmm. So I think it's helpful to make that distinction, at least for me. Um, now I don't know, this might be controversial, but I find it helpful to distinguish between 
the revelation of God as three persons and what I can know through that revelation and what I can know about the divine essence in itself. The divine persons in essence are one. I'll agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but my knowledge is limited primarily to the persons. The divine essence for me, and I assume for everyone, is inscrutable. It's ultimately mm-hmm. unknowable. I find that helpful. <laughs> Because when I think about God as one essence and three persons, I'm not responsible for knowing one half of that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but there are positive affirmations we can make, right? So as you're saying, the three and one and one and three, Mm -hmm. what you can say, we know that what we could say about them, the persons individually, we say about the whole thing. Right. About the unity, but but I, I agree that's the only way we can get to it, the divine yeah. essence. Yeah. So, and so what are some of the ways that we learn about the persons individually? We have the revelation of scripture. Yes. The general revelation, right? The idea that the world or creation tells us something about something the about creator. God. And how the divine intention for the world. I'm starting to say divine intention all the time. And that's <laughs> <laughs> it's a mean, direct influence from my <laughs> theologian friend, Chad Rhodes. I um, meet up with it. I say it all the time. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> What's Are there other ways? I think our own experience and I think our experience in relationship with others tells mm-hmm. us something about God, but I'm see, I'm already kind of seeing all of that through the lens of a triune understanding of God, but yeah. And just one more point on knowing God in terms of the revelation of God as three persons and knowing the divine essence. I mean, that has uh, one theologian, Carl Rahner, 20th century Jesuit theologian famously said, well, famous to theology nerds, famously said the that the imminent trinity and the economic tr- is the economic trinity and the economic trinity is the imminent trinity, which I translate that to mean the essence is the three persons and the three persons are the essence. They're not two different things. So God within God's self, maybe another, is that another fair definition of the imminent Trinity? Yeah. God in versus, God's self. versus God as reaching revealed. out it, re, into creations, God, God's activity within that's this the, world. That's the economic Trinity. Yeah. The imminent Trinity is God in God's self, the economic. And he's saying, look, we don't want to make that distinction too strong because God in God's self is the three persons. Mm-hmm. And I think that's helpful because what that says is the revelation of God as three persons is not empty of valid content or reference. We can know something about God, but I still kind of balk at it because I'm convinced God is more than we can possibly conceptualize. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would say the revelation is sufficient for whatever we need. But I would not identify the content of my understanding or anyone's understanding. And that's the purpose of revelation, to give understanding. I wouldn't identify anyone's understanding with the divine essence. (laughs) I hope that's they're not the same. 
good well it can't it can't be right i mean the even if we go to the basic idea of god being infinite my mind is not infinite Mm -hmm. and can in no way contain or comprehend something infinite right? right um but i think maybe the the positive corollary to that point is that we do gain i think a fuller understanding of god through relationships and communications with others mm-hmm. um, and talking about what they see um, and what we see together. And that doesn't mean just my, my soul friends <laughs> and my buddies, yeah. but uh, the revelation of the community of scripture uh, there and the community of the believers of all times and places, what the theology we read, the other witnesses. Yeah. I agree. That diversity of experience, that shared diversity of experience, maybe. Yeah. I think that anytime we cut ourselves off from groups of people, we're cutting ourselves off from knowledge of God. Nice. Ultimately. So let me throw this out there, Charlotte. Please. I don't think the official doctrine... God is one essence and three persons. I don't think that doctrine gives us uh, positive content in in, in terms Mm -hmm. of forming a mental conception of God. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And partly because, again, I think the whole process that the doctrine went through as it developed not all of it but a lot of it was a process of negation where we're saying no it's not that no it's not that no it's not that right it wasn't you know this um they're not the idea wasn't to capture a pure and positive concept in order to to capture the reality that wasn't Mm -hmm. the intention i don't think um so what does it do if it doesn't give us positive a positive mental conception of the triune God. I think what it does is, is set up boundaries. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and what it really, and this is just me, but I think what it forces us to do is hold this logical tension in place, the three and one, because the moment we try to resolve that tension, we end up dipping our toes in some heresy. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to note that like most, almost all, darn near all <laughs> theology really is creating boundaries rather mm. than positive constructions. I mean, you know, even like we just mentioned, you know, God is being infinite. I I really can't understand that either. Yeah, I, I mean, um, but that does mean that when we're talking about God in a way that seems to cast God as a finite being that, uh Oh, you know, take a step back and we're going to work on that. Mm-hmm. You know? So any of these uh, things that we affirm about God and so many of them like infinite are described in the negative. Right. Too, yeah. Even that, but that orthodoxy or the, the faith Really, we're describing boundaries rather than uh, definitions. Yeah. 
because I know people get frustrated or like, I, this doesn't make sense. And that should be your experience if you're trying to form mm -hmm. a mental conception of what yeah. it's saying. Yeah. But if you understand that it's basically setting up some boundaries within which there's a lot of room, um, maybe that's helpful. I don't know. It's been helpful to me. I'll put it that way. Uh, I think it's helpful to me too. And I think it's, I, I relish opportunities to bring it up because I think so many people in the church and particularly our tradition, which does such a one-to-one -one relationship between knowledge of God and salvation mm. uh, that you can't be saved by that, that you don't know. And I, I mean, yeah, there's, I think there's truth to that, but I think that that ends up with a kind of pressure of like, if I can't intellectually grasp yeah. the Trinity, the divinity of Christ, all these things, then I'm, I'm not as faithful. Somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Rather that than can't be the case. Yeah. And I mean, even that joke about like, you know, if somebody asks you a question in Sunday school or something, you can be like, it's a mystery. Ha. Huh? Uh, <laughs> but there are there are little like boundaries, <laughs> but yeah. beyond which it's incredibly speculative. And you're right. Once you start getting into those places, you can very quickly find yourself in a, uh Oh, wait a minute <laughs> realm. As our beloved professor told us, I don't know if you remember this. I, I won't say her name, but she said, whenever you talk about the Trinity, don't just rush to it's a mystery. Cause there's a lot that can be said before you get to the mystery part. Mm -hmm. And I think that's mm -hmm. true. Yeah. So I think, so if we look at the Trinity in and of itself and try to make sense of it, that's not so much helpful. But why do, why, what is attractive about understanding God as triune? For me, there's something attractive about that as a description of diversity within the Godhead, which mm -hmm. helps me understand the importance of diversity or diverse expressions within humanity mm -hmm. um and to constantly try to call myself to being open to that the way that different cultures and ethnic groups um and others express their connection to god that there's probably something useful there no matter how weird it may seem to me otherwise yeah like um, the trinity is not weird yeah right <laughs> <laughs> So why are you like, well, those people dance funny in church and I don't want to be a part of it instead of like listening and being open and yeah. being more curious than judgmental, as they say. That that's one one aspect I find useful. And and then I guess corollary to that would be the fact that like that means our God is like its own community. Yeah. In some way. Um, and I think reinforces the idea that we there are real ways in which we need one another. Yeah. Um, that we are also not meant to be solitary creatures, no matter how much that appeals. To me. <laughs> I know. Um, but that there's still ways in which we are we're better with somebody else, even if that somebody is a book. <laughs> but uh partners in conversation yeah how about you 
Well, yeah, I'm with you. There's something about the idea of this perfect identity of diversity and unity that hits a lot of high notes for me. I mean, the creation reflects that. We live in a universe, which is a diverse unity. That's a nice reflection of the creator. And I think there's there's moral implications, which I think you've already touched on, but this idea that you know, any efforts efforts towards homogeny or uniformity or um, pitting one group against another because of inherent differences does not reflect the nature of God, who is inherently diverse and one. Mm-hmm. Um, what reflects the divine nature is diversity working together in love as one. Mm-hmm. But the diversity isn't lost in that process. Mm-hmm. Um, and the inherent relationality, community, as you put it, of the Trinity. Uh, of course, as you know, because you're more of an Augustan scholar than I am, but he really hit gold when he interpreted the Trinity in terms of love, that the first person is the eternal lover. The second person is the eternal beloved. And the third person is the love in that relationship. Mm-hmm. It's a very, at least a very Western understanding of Nicaea. <laughs> I just kind of dawned on me that that might not work. But I love that image. And I've, I've that's a very helpful, because despite my insistence that the essence of God is inscrutable. If I'm going to tag the essence as anything, I'm going to tag it as love. I think Marguerite Peretti plays with that lover, beloved and love image uh, a little bit in, and almost I think corrects it in some way because she has the Holy spirit as the the love that comes and can penetrate the heart of the mystic or the mind of the mystic there through the activity of the Holy spirit. Uh But then because it is love itself connects it to the unity of the Trinity. Okay. Uh, And so it's through the activity of the Holy spirit and openness to the Holy spirit that then you're subsumed back into the source Okay. Which I think is a more fitting description of love than Con- connecting it to us. What do you mean? It, what, then what? I feel like love belongs. I feel like part of Augustine's image of lover beloved and love is skewed because love. It's I feel like more properly love itself should be the first person of the Trinity. Okay. Yeah, I can see that as the source. Yeah. So then she's connecting our experience of love then through the Holy Spirit, but then it transforms us back into the source or the oneness even of the Trinity. Okay. And so unity with the Godhead through love that way, because otherwise... Well, and this is the beauty of it, that because of the the ultimate ambiguity, lack of positive content, we can play around and try to think of ways that 
think about it, that might be more helpful, you know? Yeah. And she did. And she did. What are some other images of the Trinity that you like? Can you think of any? I like Augustine's image of the Trinity as of humans as a reflection of the mm. Trinity, mm-hmm. understanding memory and will as a reflection uh-huh. of the Trinity, just because, you know, he's, he's thinking, well, if we're made in the image of God and God is a Trinity, we should be able to find Trinities within ourselves. Yeah. Or something, something Trinitarian within ourselves. And he identifies, I believe it's, I can't remember, mind, memory, will, something like that. How these work together. Uh-huh. We can separate them. They have separate functions, but they're within one person. Right. So they're one. Right. Um, and uniquely you? interconnected. And uniquely right. interconnected, right. Uh I like some of the nature images. Um, okay. I like kind of, you know, the sun, its rays and heat, you know, images. Mm-hmm. I really like fire. So then, I mean, I don't like fire. I like fire. <laughs> I like the fire image of fire being flame, light, and heat. Okay. Too. Yes. Um, that there are moments, you know, meditating, sitting around a fire or in front of a fireplace, contemplating mm-hmm. that, um, that you can feel like you can distinguish those things, but they also cannot exist separately. Yeah. Nice. I like that. If somebody asked me why the Trinity, I think on the one hand, the official doctrine in my mind, is about as close as you're going to get if you're trying to avoid the things they were trying to avoid. Yeah. But the what attracts me to a, a triune understanding of God is more about how it informs the way I see creation and humanity and relationships and community and those kinds of things. And I'm perfectly happy not being able to form a mental conception of the Trinity. I mean, that was a big step for me because I think there was a time when I thought I should be able to understand it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it was very frustrating for me at one time. And well, particularly during seminary, I did think like I should be able to hold these two concepts in my mind at the same time. Yeah. And couldn't. And um, that was frustrating. But why would I think that I would be able to hold two completely or seemingly contradictory concepts in my mind at the same time like that? (laughs) And of such immense value, you know, that's not. I mean, this world is complicated. I could think complicated things. I could see the good and evil in, you know, an event or something. Yeah. I can hold on to that. I can see joy and sorrow in particular things. I can understand that. But I was supposed to both hold the immensity of the Godhead in my mind and <laughs> the characteristics of the three persons. Yeah. That's. I can't do that. Those are some pretty high expectations. Yeah, really. <laughs> well, you know, I, the, the analogy I, I made up <laughs> is that no one has a conception of this universe where all the details are involved in that conception. Right. 
but where you expect ourselves to have a conception of the, the being that brought the, that universe into existence. I mean, that's, that's not going to happen. Yeah. So there you go. We just, we just keep trying though. That's what makes it interesting also, yeah. isn't it? I mean, that's what keeps this faith or for me, part of what keeps this faith alive is the continual pursuit of the knowledge of God. Yeah. Because it's it's a never-ending font. <laughs> I'm never going to complete that. Right. But I want as much as I can. Yeah. We want to know God. <laughs>